friends, and welcome to another episode of I Want to Watch the Very Best Because God Watch Them All Was Taken. I'm going to keep this intro brief today because I've been sick the past couple days. Yay! I don't know with what, but I hope it's not bad. Either way, I'm going to be fine. I'm, I'm already recovering. I'm just a little bit tired and weak still, and uh, just, just not feeling the toppest of tears, you know? You can probably even hear it in my voice. I'm a little bit stuffy today. But I will say we're almost nearing the end. I think there's like uh, one and a half more episodes to go. I don't know how I'm going to fill in the gap of those last two episodes because it's going to, if my math is right, it's going to be like two episodes and then that's it for Indigo League. So I'm going to have to find some way to fill up that time or just make a shorter episode. I don't know. Maybe I'll give my thoughts on Gen 1. I was planning on doing that at the start of Orange Island, but maybe I'll do it at the end of Indigo League. Regardless... We'll get there when we get there. For now, let's jump right into today's episode. Episode 71, To Master the Unexpected. Synopsis. Learning that the Elite Four member Bruno is training on a secluded mountain, Ash rushes to meet him. But when a plot by Team Rocket backfires on them, again, Ash's group must face off against an oversized Onyx. There's only three weeks left until the league, and Ash is being lazy and watching TV. Him and Brock stare in awe at the Elite Four's Bruno, before Misty shuts the magic picture box off and scolds Ash for slacking. He and Brock try to justify what they're doing by saying they're studying Bruno's secrets, but Ash can't remember what those secrets even are. Ash says that he hopes Bruno might train him and pass along his secrets, but Brock coldly says that Bruno wouldn't waste his time on any of them. Ash, however, is confident that if he met Bruno, he'd be able to get the man to train him. Delia then pops in and is like, Well, I know where he is. <laughs> Learning that Bruno is probably up on Mount Hideaway, they rush off. After some hiking, Misty says that they're only about seven miles away. But the tired Ash and Brock try to maintain their pride. Looks like Mount Hideaway is only seven or eight miles from here. <sighs> Hurry up, let's get going. Maybe you're tired. We could stop and rest for a while if you want to. I wouldn't mind that. All right, let's find some place for me to take a rest. They end up at an old lady's cabin restaurant to rest and eat. After asking her, she tells the group that, well, she doesn't know about Bruno specifically, but someone's been stealing her meatballs. It's at that moment she notices the meatball kebab she was going to give the group is also gone taken by Ash and Brock when she wasn't looking, since they're just super hungry. However, some wooden chimes go off, alerting the old woman to an intruder. She rushes out to catch the thieves, revealed to be Team Rocket, dressed as old hermit people for no reason. Prepare for trouble, whippersnapper. And make it double, young fella. I think we can fast forward through this. That's right. Huh, exhausting. I think I bit my tongue. No, I didn't change that. That's actually how it is in the show. Team Rocket then says that after so many losses, they're trying to return to the basics and reach enlightenment, living off the land. And by the land, they mean the old lady's meatballs. She then attacks the rockets with a broom, causing them to run away and drop the food. 
Retrieving the meatballs, the old lady then informs the group that the mountain is home to giant onyx due to its abundant minerals, adding that they're both cool to see and completely harmless if unbothered. After continuing up the mountain with no sign of Bruno or an onyx, the group spots a giant canyon sort of thing. Instead of looking at it from a distance, it's not until they climb down into it that Brock notices it's a trail left by something giant. Suddenly, a rumbling is felt, and a giant onyx with a scarred face barrels towards them. Instead of climbing up the relatively small edges of the trail, the group instead elects to run straight down it, almost getting crushed as a result. Thankfully, at the last second, a man calls out to them, leading them to a safe spot just as Onyx passes by. The man asks if they're okay, and the trio is shocked to see their rescuers none other than Bruno. He tries to leave, but the trio follows him, Brock and Dash begging for his help in training. Bruno asks if the boy's willing to do everything he says, with both of them agreeing. They begin carrying buckets of water from a stream, Ash spilling it on Misty. Guess I need to work on the equal whatchamacallit. He then has them split logs of wood to teach them how to have a firm grip. A piece of split wood then smacks Misty in the face. Finally, they carry small stones up a hill, with Bruno giving another BS reason. Ash then stumbles and almost runs into Misty with it. Finally, as Bruno begins cooking with all the things Ash and Brock did, he tells Ash to whittle down a stick until it's peeled. It's as clean as a whistle, Master Bruno. What lesson does it teach us? It teaches an important lesson you must always remember. If you're ever going to go camping, bring a fork! <sighs> it's not until now that the group begins to doubt the point of the training, but Brock is insulted that they doubt Bruno, picking up a stick and saying that he'd use his lightning-fast reflexes to dodge it. Yeah! But as expected, Brock just whacks his head, injuring the man. Finally, Bruno offers to teach them the secret to Pokemon training. That there is no special secret. He says that the reason he's even up on the mountain is to catch the biggest and most powerful Onyx, since strong Pokemon help make a strong trainer. Brock's image of his idol is permanently damaged, while Team Rocket, having been spying, decides to catch the Onyx themselves so they can be the strong ones. The evil trio then follows an onyx trail, prepared with a bazooka. The only way we could capture that king is by total surprise. Don't you worry. We've got something unexpected. <laughs> that joke is unacceptable. They wait, eventually seeing the scarred onyx from earlier emerge from underground. While startled by its size, Jesse demands that they hold their ground. The Poke crew, meanwhile, are walking back down the mountain, sad about Bruno's reveal. But, hearing an explosion, they rush over to investigate, right as the rockets land a hit. Unfortunately, the massive onyx is unfazed and chases the group into a cave, slamming the wall and causing the cave to begin collapsing on the rockets. Hearing their cries for help, Ash's group decides to help them. Brock sends out his own onyx, Misty sending out Staryu successfully for the first time in who knows how long since she got Psyduck, and Ash helping with Squirtle as the cave fills up with rocks around the rockets. Brock's onyx uses tackle, but the big onyx is unaffected. Similarly, Staryu doesn't do much, but combined with Squirtle, they manage to distract it just long enough for Team Rocket to get away. Jesse, James, now's our chance to run for it! Huh? 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 
We're way ahead of you, Meow. Huh? Hold it! Where you going? Wait for Meow! The Onyx knocks away the two water Pokemon, and then whips its tail into the fleeing rocket trio, blasting them away! With all of their Pokemon injured, Ash's group is rushed by the Onyx, which slams into the cliff they're on, causing Ash to fall into the valley below, at the mercy of the giant Onyx. Pikachu then jumps down to defend him, but is unable to do more than just annoy it. Ash holds Pikachu close, convinced they're about to meet their end at the hands of the giant rock snake, until Bruno picks them up and leaps to safety. Telling the trainers to recall their Pokemon, Bruno promises to handle the Raging Onyx himself. Brock and Ash excitedly ask what Pokemon and technique he'll use, but he calmly tells them that he'll actually use no Pokemon before meditating a moment and jumping down in front of the Onyx. He loudly asks the Onyx why it's angry, but it attempts to headbutt and tail whip the Elite Four member. However, Bruno jumps out of the way each time, our heroes worrying for his safety. He then manages to jump on the Pokemon's head, jumping out of the way of its tail so Onyx hits itself. As the giant Pokemon is dazed, Bruno approaches it, promising he means no harm, the Onyx calming, despite him having just made the Onyx attack itself. Bruno then reads into the Onyx's emotions, determining where the problem lays. He reaches between the Pokemon's rocks, and after a brief bit of pain for the Onyx, pulls out a silly little sand slash. So you're what was troubling Onyx all this time. Onyx, now content, agrees to become Bruno's partner, letting him catch it. Ash's group rushes down, Brock begging to know how Bruno figured it out. Bruno reiterates that there is no special secret, but Ash promises not to tell anyone if he shares it. Bruno, however, tells Ash that he'll only say the secret if they promise to share it. He then tells the group that the Pokemon and people must share the world, coexist peacefully, and care for each other. Which still doesn't explain how he knew what Onyx was feeling, but whatever. He then tells Ash that he looks forward to battling one day, bids farewell, and then hops back up the cliff and into the forest. Brock's admiration is restored, and the group departs the mountain with another lesson and another day closer to the Pokemon League. Meanwhile, Team Rocket cowers in the face of a bunch of Onyx, making rock puns to better cope with their inevitable demise. I think things are looking sort of rocky, don't you? These Pokemon couldn't be bolder! Maybe people take them for granted! Well, I guess it's kind of neat that we got to see an Elite Four member for the first time. It's a bit of a shame we don't see them more throughout the series, though, and the anime also never really explains what they are in this world. In the games, they're basically final gym leaders, strong trainers who are fought before the champion in one final challenge at the League. But in the anime, there is no gatekeeping. The League is a tournament. I understand why it is that way in the anime. It's just more sensible. Imagine if Ash meets all of these super powerful Pokemon trainers, but for some reason, not one of them makes it through the Elite Four. Plus, if Ash is destined to lose to have the series continue to the next gen, it'd mean that he'd have to lose to one of them, or else he'd reach what was, at the time, the ultimate title a trainer could have, champion. It also provides us a way to give the rivals a stake too, they're also struggling against strong trainers aiming for the top. However, this has the consequence of never saying how someone becomes champion, or who the Elite Four are. In the conclusion of the League a few episodes from now, there's a first, second, and third place victor, none of whom are Lance. 
And the Elite Four are just non-existent. So my guess is that the league tournament is a trial, basically victory road, and that the winners are given the opportunity to challenge the Elite Four and the standing champion. I don't know if this is the case or not, but it makes sense in my mind. Otherwise, the Elite Four are just random strong trainers. Also, this episode was another meh one, so meh. Okie dokie, let's move on to... Episode 72, The Ancient Puzzle of Pokemopolis. Synopsis. While training, Ash's group accidentally discovers a lost civilization. It's just that easy. However, they also happen to unleash two destructive feuding forces. Ash and Brock are battling with Pikachu and Vulpix to train in a canyon, Misty fishing calmly nearby. Vulpix manages to avoid Pikachu, and then just as both Pokemon are about to launch another attack at each other, Jigglypuff jumps between them. The trainers quickly tell their Pokemon to redirect their attacks, despite Jigglypuff deserving everything it's got coming to it, and the electricity and flame mix before exploding on the cliff behind them. As Jigglypuff quietly sneaks away, the group marvel at their discovery. Ancient ruins hidden behind the rock, with a large bell in the entranceway. Brock clears away some rubble, and finds a weird-looking artifact which looks like a dumbbell, but with rounded spikes instead of circles. Suddenly, it's snatched from him by a French archaeologist girl, whose group had rushed over after hearing the explosion. An older member of the team praises the girl for her work, but Brock tries to take credit for it to impress her. Uh, sir, I'm the one who found whatever it is that is. Uh, we were having a training battle, and then- Yes, thanks a lot. Couldn't have done it without you. Very helpful. Ash and Misty also try to take credit, but are ignored. Team Rocket also, once again, plans to steal some stuff. Inside a giant tent, the girl, Eve, shows them some Pokemon-looking artifacts. Misty and Brock recall that the lost civilization, Pokemopolis, believed Pokemon were symbols of nature's power, building shrines to them, but were wiped out by a flood centuries ago. Eve then confirms that this might be the first discovered ruins of the civilization, before the male researcher rushes in and presents a spoon made out of the same metal as the earlier artifact thing, found right next to where the first one was. Misty also inquires as to why the very young Eve is being referred to as Doctor. By age six, Eve was already an expert in ancient Pokemopolitan civilization. Her research revolutionized the field. She got her PhD at eight. She, she must, must be a super brain. brain. <laughs> <laughs> when she was nine, Eve wrote a best-selling book on her new theories about Pokemon. Oh. Okay, that's enough about oh. me, Professor. You've got work to do. Yes, uh, Doctor. A doctor. Already? When I was eight, I was still afraid of doctors. Please, it's no big deal. And it's not like I had perfect grades or anything. I got an A-minus once. <laughs> While embarrassedly waving her hands, and as a result the spoon, the first artifact begins to glow, only being noticed by Pikachu before it stops. Eve then shows off a stone tablet, which warns of two dangerous creatures that, if ever released, would swallow the world in darkness before destroying everything. Brock then insists that he help solve the mystery of the text, rushing off to do some digging. Meowth then wishes that he could be worshipped as a god, jumping onto Jesse and James's head to feel superior before they punch him off. 
That night, while Ash's group sleeps with Eve in her trailer because the archaeologist decided to just let a group of kids hang around the dig site, the first artifact glows again, the spoon seeming to react to it. The rockets then make their move, Jesse sending Arbok into the ruins to pilfer any valuables before daydreaming of all the money they'll get. Well, soon we'll all be filthy rich. What wastefully extravagant things will you do with your share? Well, first I'll pay the boss all the money I owe him. What? That's the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard! Don't you know with all that money you won't have to do the decent thing? If the treasure's large enough, I can make myself the boss. The big enchilada! The top tamale! The king quesadilla! It's such a shame they're so power-hungry. The grand guacamole! The number one nacho! Arbok then returns, having only found a simple string of beads. While the trio disappointingly asks if that was really the most valuable object Arbok was going to find, Arbok is suddenly engulfed in red light, like a Pokeball, before being sucked into the beads. As the first artifacts continue to react to each other, the beads hover towards the rockets, large footprints appearing in the earth before they're frozen in place, then also absorbed by the beads off camera. In the morning, the archaeology team, along with Ash's crew, discover the footprints. The male team lead picks up the beads to investigate in the camp, but is absorbed before everyone's eyes. The bead flashes images of the people it captured, Eve telling everyone to run! The unnamed archaeologist extras are frozen and absorbed, but Eve and the pokey crew are somehow unscathed, hiding in the trailer. However, it's not safe there either, as the two original artifacts are causing everything to levitate. We then see inside the beads, showing those trapped inside all cramped together in the center orb, as the shape forms around them, revealing the beads to be the core of a giant, tribal-patterned Gengar. Our heroes are terrified, wondering how a Gengar even got to be that big. Relax, it's just an alpha Pokemon. All you have to do is throw a heavy ball at its back and bam, it's yours, no problem. As the sky fills with dark clouds, the Pokedex once again says no details are known about Gengar, further proving how bad of a job Westwood did at making it. After a shot of Oak seeing the storm, our heroes pursue the giant Pokemon, Ash insisting it needs to be stopped as it's heading right for Pallet Town. Misty and Brock follow, telling Eve to figure out a solution back at the trailer, due to her hesitance to pursue the giant. Brock sends out Onyx, having it burrow ahead to block the Gengar. Pidgeotto is also sent out, but as it futilely tries to use Gust, it's absorbed. Jesse then shakes the unconscious bird, angry it didn't do better. Onyx rises from the ground in front of it, binding its leg, but it's just absorbed through the ghost skin and also sent to the containment orb, squishing everyone inside to an uncomfortable degree. Gengar then notices the trio, who flee back to camp, where they find Eve levitating in a trance, holding the spoon in the air between her hands. As Ash and Misty hold Brock back from rushing in, the case around the first object breaks, the spoon entering into it and creating a bright golden light as it flies away. Eve is unable to remember anything, but has no time to think about it as the two objects form into an alakazam, the same height as the Gengar. Thankfully, Westwood actually had a Pokedex entry on that one. The two giants then begin fighting, alakazam launching psychic blades that look like the psycho cut move, three gents before it's actually even a move. 
However, both Pokemon are evenly matched. Eve realizing that the prophecy was warning that these two destroyed Pokemonopolis, and were now going to destroy them as well. Ash decides to try catching them, because hey, they're Pokemon, why not? However, the two see his Pokeballs coming, stop them midair, and blow them up. Before they can flee, they're psychically frozen, with only Pikachu being unaffected because it hopped off screen for no reason a second beforehand. Ash has Pikachu jump into the water the giants are standing in, electrocuting it and the Pokemon to some success. And also zapping everyone trapped inside Gengar. Yay! However, it's still not enough, the two continuing to fight and destroying their surroundings. Our heroes, now able to move and take cover, lament their doom, as even the Pokemonopolins couldn't figure out how to stop them. The super smart prodigy doctor still not realizing, hey wait a second, they were stopped and sealed once before, we could do it again maybe somehow. It's then that Jigglypuff is hit with a stray attack and falls in front of the group. Misty then proposes trying to put the giants to sleep with its song. The Pokemon gets on a cliff and starts to sing, the absorbed people and Pokemon cheering it on, but its song has no effect on the giants, most likely not being loud enough, and it's blasted away by another stray attack. However, its song did activate the bell at the ruins entrance, which rises up and forms into a giant Jigglypuff. Using the bell as a microphone, it sings the two giants and everyone nearby into a deep slumber. The sky begins to clear, and Giant Jiggly becomes angry at the other two giants, pulling a paintbrush out of their bell and doodling on them like its smaller counterpart. When everyone wakes up, they see that everyone Gengar absorbed is now free. Team Rocket hugs each other, crying. Before noticing Ash and being like, We let you off easy this time, loser. Later, bye. Misty asks where the Gengar and Alakazam went. And Eve just goes, The Shadow World or something? IDK, lol. Brock suggests that maybe Jigglypuff was Pokemonopolis's guardian. Eve adding that the relics they found inside could actually be early Pokeballs. She then happily takes the relics, saying she'll continue to research them, despite the danger they now very obviously have. As the narrator wraps it up by saying that mysteries were solved, he ends with one final quip. Of course, we still haven't solved the biggest mystery of all. Will Ash ever get around to training? Another filler episode, but kind of similar vibes to Sabrina's episode. It introduces this wild concept, giant ancient Pokemon that live in the Shadow Realm and want to destroy everything and then deem it not important enough to ever mention again. Like, this thing would be a big deal in other shows, but in Pokemon, it's just a little bump in the road on the way to the Pokemon League. And, likewise, it's just another bump of an episode on our way to the Gen 1 finale. Alright, coming up next is this one, and it's episode, episode, huh, episode 73, Bad to the Bone. Synopsis. Finally setting off for the Pokemon League, Ash is accosted by another trainer, who challenges Ash for all of his badges. As the Pokemon League is just a short time away and barely any training being done, Ash asks Professor Oak for some last-minute advice. Misty sasses him and suggests he just give up now. Trying to explain why he didn't do any training, Oak is just not having it, and angrily tells Ash that if he's not prepared for the league, he should just quit now. 
But also, if he wants to compete, he should leave now, too. Running out, he grabs some supplies from home, Delia and Oak encouraging and cheering him on, regardless of his readiness. And with that, the trio sets off from Pallet Town and towards the Indigo Plateau. Cutting through a grassy field on the way, they are confronted by a samurai-looking guy named Atoshi. After confirming they're heading towards the League, Atoshi challenges Ash to a battle, upping the ante by saying that whoever loses must give all their badges to the victor. While initially ready to fight, Ash doesn't like the extra stipulation and tries to refuse. However, Atoshi goads him by saying that someone who would truly win the League tournament would not back down from this challenge, causing Ash to agree to the battle. Setting up in an area with less tall grass, Atoshi sends out Marowak, with Ash picking Bulbasaur. Ash has Bulbasaur tackle and miss, then tells it to use Vine Whip as Marowak counters with a focus-charged Bone Club, knocking away the vines. Then, almost like an anime, Marowak rushes and cuts through Bulbasaur. After a couple seconds of stillness, Bulbasaur collapses. Pikachu goes out next, managing to avoid the bone swipes and land a thunder shock, which not only injures but also defeats Marowak, despite it being immune to electric attacks due to its ground typing. Ash, just assuming Atoshi only had one Pokemon, celebrates his victory, going over to collect his prize of eight more badges. Atoshi then sobs about his loss, admitting that he doesn't even have any badges to give, Ash making fun of him. But I have no badges to give to you, Marowak. Huh? You mean you didn't have any badges to start with? Well, you see... You acted like you had badges when you never did, but your little scheme to get my badges backfired, didn't it? Atoshi then explains that he's trying to get someone else's badges because he did have eight, but they were all stolen from him. Flashing back to the incident, when proudly walking to the Pokemon League, Otoshi and Marowak see random fruit lying on the ground and hungrily run over to it. However, it was actually a trap by Team Rocket, who steal his badges and put them in a lockbox, running away before the two recover and commenting on how oddly easy that was. Ash then promises to help recover the badges, even with Misty and Brock protesting that they may miss the League if he stays and helps. But Ash, flashing back on how hard he worked to earn his, is determined to stick by his decision to help his fellow trainer. James and Meowth, meanwhile, laugh about how easy their heist was. Meowth saying they should have done this a long time ago. James saying, hey, it's been more than seven minutes since we took a look at our badge collection. And Meowth going, you know, I, I think it has. And then they look and find out that the badges were stolen by badge-stealing I can't cuss on this podcast. Meowth then also notices that Jessie is missing as well. I think she said she had a little shopping to do in town, and then she ran off carrying a big square package wrapped in a big green handkerchief. She stole them! Jessie stole our stolen badges! Jessie? This assumption is proven right when we see Jessie happily walking to the league bragging about her stolen, stolen badges, excited at the chance to participate in the league and ditch James and Meowth for a bit. Pidgeotto scouts for the Rockets, alerting the group to a discovery. They arrive just in time to see James and Meowth taking off in their balloon, confronting them and having Pidgeotto pop it. Atoshi demands they return the badges, but James and Meowth terrifiedly say they don't have the badges either. Misty then forces them to lay out all their possessions as proof and make fun of them. 
You see any badges? Well, I see binoculars, a notepad, some makeup, broken sunglasses, and photos of yourself? Uh, well, you see, I like to look at myself in my spare time. A bunch of bottle caps, some pogs, some tabs from soda cans. This is just a pile of junk! Yes, but it's got sentimental value! This is also the first appearance of James's bottle cap collection, a reoccurring gag throughout the series, and even sometimes a plot-important gag. Marowak then seems super upset, Meowth conveying that it doesn't want to be Atoshi's Pokemon anymore. Having only put up with the training and battles to make it to the league, it sees no point staying around if its trainer is so useless. Atoshi begs it to stay, but it shrugs him off and walks away. And we were so close to going to the Pokemon League. You still might be able to buy a ticket. This is all because of you! Both groups then set out independently of one another to hunt down Jessie, who has now disguised herself in a robe and hat to cover her body up. She also included a bindi, the little red dot on the forehead in Hindu traditions. She would get kicked out of a Halloween party for this. She then comes across a young man just sitting on the side of the road, admiring his badges out loud like, Wow, look, I have eight badges. <laughs> my eight badges are so cool. I love my cool eight badges. <laughs> It almost seems like a trap, except it isn't. This kid is just loving his badges out loud. Jessie then approaches the man, showing off her own stolen collection. When the man shows off his, all badges that do not exist and one that looks like a croissant, Jessie prepares to greedily steal them too. James and Meowth spy on them, James confirming it's Jessie thanks to his experiences dressing up with her. Just as Jesse starts reaching for the other guy's badges, James throws a smoke bomb. Beginning the Team Rocket motto, Jesse's sleeper code word activates and she joins him in it, revealing her identity. The young badge-loving man flees, and Jesse panics now that she's discovered, crying about her ruined second theft. James and Meowth scold her, but then promise to steal more badges so they can all participate in the league together. Our heroes and the Toshi then suddenly discover the Rocket Trio, demanding their badges back. Team Rocket mocks them, saying they have to battle for them back, Atoshi being the one to accept the challenge. Jesse sends out Arbok, with Atoshi picking Doduo. Marowak, meanwhile, solemnly walks through the woods. He then comes across a group of trainers all practicing with their Pokémon. It then flashes back to its time training with Otoshi, both of them undergoing the same trials together, with Otoshi helping Marowak to push forward as a team. Okay, see AJ? This is how you expect from yourself what you expect of your Pokemon. If you have them jump through a flaming hoop, you also jump through that flaming hoop. I don't care if your Sand Slash is like the strongest Sand Slash, Otoshi is the real hero trainer here. So get wrecked, AJ! Marowak then realizes how much the two actually cared for each other, running back crying. Elsewhere, Arbok is demolishing Doduo as the two heads begin fighting each other, allowing Arbok to restrain it. Jesse gives a haughty <laughs> laugh and then throws a Pokeball to steal Doduo as well. However, just before the ball lands, Marowak's bone meringue knocks it away. Atoshi is happy his Pokemon returned, and together, the two manage to defeat Arbok, knocking it back. James sends out Weezing to help, but Pikachu ends up zapping both Rocketmon. 
The rocket trio then decide to flee in terror, rushing to their balloon. Marowak, however, throws its bone, causing it to explode, the badge box dropping conveniently right to the group. Jessie cries about her failed double theft as the group blasts off. James and Meowth still kind of angry at her. Otoshi then approaches Marowak, thanking it for returning to help. He then asks if it'd like to join him in the Pokemon League, which it happily agrees to. Misty gives the trainer his badges, and he thanks them before departing. Brock says that, even if they are late for the League, Ash did the right thing today by stopping to help. Later that day, the group comes over a hill and is able to finally see the Indigo Plateau, Ash rushing towards it and his friends following after. The narrator then says this interesting sentence. Tomorrow, Ash will have to prove himself a winner in competition. But today, he proved himself a winner at life. This is one of the last things I'd somewhat consider filler, or at least more filler-esque, before the League. And it's not too bad, it's pretty entertaining, but nothing too groundbreaking. Like I said, Atoshi's just like a better AJ, doing the crazy training but actually caring for his Pokemon instead of just saying he does and expecting people to believe him. But enough with this, let's get to that good, good League finale of Gen 1 with... Episode 74, All Fired Up! Synopsis. Nearing the Pokemon League, our group witnesses the ceremonial torch carry. Ash, not one to resist being the center of attention, manages to get the chance to carry it. Approaching the Pokemon League, Ash can hardly contain his excitement, accidentally spooking Togepi. Brock and Misty sarcastically comment on how rowdy he's being, and the group continues on. Arriving at a town, they all notice a large gathering of people on the edges of the road, eagerly awaiting something. Ash thinks that maybe they're all there for him, and when they start cheering, he fully greets them. However, they then all rush right past him to get closer to something else. Looking further, they all see an athletic man jogging towards the stadium with a blazing torch. Brock explains that it's supposed to excite and encourage the trainers, and that carrying it is a huge honor. Misty adds that, supposedly, the flame comes from Moltres. Ash looks up the Pokemon in his decks, and oh come on, Westwood. You have info about Moltres, but none on Dugtrio? Useless professor. If that flame really is lit from the flames of Moltres, then it's more than just a legend. Moltres has to be real. And you want to catch one. Yeah, I'll catch one and train it just like... Just like you train Charizard? Ah! Huh? But first I'm going to carry that torch. Interestingly, this is the only time until Pokemon Journeys that a main character shows any desire to catch a legendary Pokemon. Ash just aims low, I guess. Ash, having a chronic attention deficiency, decides he wants to carry the torch too, and attempts to trade it off with the runner, who takes this whole thing in stride. He never drops his smile. However, Officer Jenny rushes over to tell Ash that he's not allowed to carry it. Brock then explains that Ash just gets carried away, Jenny saying that only competitors can carry the flame. Ash then flashes his badges, but Jenny apologetically says that he has to be approved first. Suddenly, a voice calls out from behind him, and an old bearded man says that they should bend the rules and let him carry it, saying the Torch pre-show is all about spirit, and Ash is overflowing with it. Ash then asks if the old guy is Santa Claus. Despite Ash having canonically met Santa Claus and knowing what he looks like. 
After the man falls off his truck in surprise at the comment, Jenny introduces him as Charles Goodshow, president of the Pokemon League Torch Committee. Remember this man, because he actually shows up as late as Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. After reiterating that Ash has tons of spirit, he asks if Ash wants to try running with the torch, the young boy eagerly accepting. After spontaneously changing into running clothes, the flame is passed on to Ash, who looks in awe at the fire before rushing off at Good Show's encouraging. As Ash runs past the crowd, Team Rocket watches from the air, upset that he has the torch because they were planning on swiping it. While running, Ash notices a strange noise before a giant fissure suddenly opens, the truck and everyone but Ash falling inside. Team Rocket then reveal themselves, gloating about their evilness with a motto while jumping from their balloon. Meowth lands on Ash's face, slashing him and causing him to throw the torch. The cat then catches it, but grabs it by the flame end, catching on fire and throwing the torch again, Pikachu catching it by the handle. A flaming Meowth chases after the other two rockets, begging for help as they run from him. James then sends out Victory Bell, which wraps its pitcher around Meowth. Both of them now catching fire and continuing to chase Jesse and James. Ash morosely comments that he's going to regret this before having Squirtle water gun the fire out. A charred Team Rocket then says that even though their lives were saved, they still want the flame. James lunges for it, but Pikachu tosses it back to Ash before electrocuting James. Ash and Jesse grab it at the same time, struggling back and forth with it. Squirtle then jumps on and pulls Jesse's face, before Meowth tickles Ash, causing Jesse to grab the torch before the trio escapes. While Ash laments his failure at protecting the torch, Jenny says that they should pursue the rockets as she helps everyone out of the ground. Good Show then kneels down with Ash, saying that he fought valiantly, before revealing that he had a backup flame in a lantern tucked inside his jacket, so that it's close to his heart, as well as an active insurance policy. Meanwhile, the rockets notice that the torch seems to be going out. The flame's going out! Somebody do something quick! Meowth, you better fix this! Hey, you must have broke it! See? All you gotta do is turn it up a little bit. Too much, right? The Moltres flame is burned out. So are we. Uh, our dreams are up in smoke. Lighting a new torch, our heroes take turn running it to the stadium, as the rarely heard or even known second verse of the theme song plays. Everyone applauds as the group arrives, and Brock hands the torch to Good Show for the opening ceremony the next day. The group then heads to the Pokemon League Village, where the trainers stay. Arriving, Gary calls out and mocks Ash for being late, angering his rival. Gary then warns that Ash should probably be scoping out the competition, before landing this zinger. If I stay here much longer, I might catch loseritis and miss the competition. See ya! <laughs> Gary, Gary, he's the top! Till he wins, he never stops! That night, in the house our group stays at, words of mocking from his friends and rival keep Ash awake, so he decides to step out and clear his head. Misty, only pretending to sleep, sadly comments that he must be scared. At the empty stadium, Good Show watches as Ash arrives as well, hearing the young boy declare his intent to try his best and win. The next day, the opening ceremony begins in front of a packed stadium. 
All trainers that earned eight badges enter. Ash looking pretty nervous, while Gary is full of confidence. The final torchbearer runs in to light the large central torch. However, right before she reaches the massive pedestal, two league officials in Roman togas intercept her. Ash, in a rare instance of seeing through Team Rocket's disguises, rushes up the stairs, warning her not to trust them, but is too late. Jesse then snatches the blaze, and as Ash runs to stop them, James has his wheezing you smog. Jesse lights the giant torch as the trio flee. Then, from behind the fire, a giant mechanical grasshopper rises. Despite being in a massive stadium filled down below with numerous members of security and top-tier Pokemon trainers, not a single other person moves to stop or even react to this. In addition, somehow no one saw or was suspicious of a giant robot outside the arena. Shrug. Despite stealing just the torch being way easier, Team Rocket reveals that their plan is to steal the giant central torch instead. The announcer is commenting on all of this the whole time, by the way. The mecha then jumps into the crowd to steal Pokemon. Even though Ash is the only one with his Pokemon actually out and ready to be stolen by a giant bug, somehow... I don't know what their plan was, but I can't imagine it was just gently take the Pokeballs off their belts with our giant robot. Ash then has Pikachu zap the robot, but it's ineffective. Once again, despite the arena being filled with trainers, no one does anything. He then tries to have Bulbasaur use Razor Leaf, but the trio just blocks it with the torch. The mecha then inches closer towards Ash, flame pointed right at him. His friends yell for him to run, but he refuses to back down, having worked too hard to be here and unwilling to let Team Rocket ruin the league and what it stands for. Team Rocket then decides to actually murder him and shoot a massive blaze right at him with the torch. Thankfully, Ash realizes that the fire isn't burning him or his Pokemon. As Team Rocket tries to figure out why he isn't dead, the flame then reshapes, taking on the form of Moltres, and destroys the robot, shooting a scorched Team Rocket away. The torch lands on top of the pedestal, and the fire Moltres flies back into it, returning to the form of the massive blaze. Unfazed by all of this, the announcer and the crowd move on with the opening ceremony, Good Show giving a speech. Welcome one and all! This stadium is a very special place, a place where those who truly love Pokemon come to compete. Here, the glow from the flame of Moltres burns brightly to light up our hearts and our spirits. Battle valiantly and keep that fire alive in your heart and in your spirit! The crowd cheers and the trainers look on, Ash promising Moltres he'll keep its flame alive as the episode ends. My god, I love this episode. We end what are, in my opinion at least, pretty lame filler episodes with what at first seems to be more fluff with a funny little torch run. However, when we get to the second half of the episode, the anime goes to a pretty deep and poignant place that, to my knowledge, they don't really do again outside of the movies. Ash struggles with his fears and determinations. The tournament opens and we have a grand show of another legendary Pokemon's strength. And the scale of the league is made apparent for the first time. It's oddly incredible. And also consider that this was the first championship battle in the show. Sure, it's dampened a bit by knowing that Ash constantly enters and loses these tournaments. But that hasn't happened yet. 
watching these for the first time as they came out, there would be a real intensity. It hyped up his first league tournament in a pretty great way, especially with its use of quiet, thoughtful moments, something the show, especially early on, doesn't really do much. I also kind of wish, instead of another drawn-out Team Rocket battle, they shortened it, and instead used that time to show quick cameos of other trainers we've seen up to now that also intended to enter. Like Atoshi, AJ, Katrina, even the Nurse Joy from the League entrance exam. It would have been a good callback to show the journey Ash was on, and all the people he met and got to know. Like, I still think we need the Fire Moltres in there, that's cool as heck. But maybe cut out the razor leaf, free up a couple seconds, I don't know. Either way, fantastic episode and an incredible start to the league arc. Wow, that was some episode, huh guys? Thanks for listening! Wee! If you liked what you heard, please make sure to follow, subscribe, like, whatever your funny service tells you to do to stay updated with the podcast. And if you enjoyed it, you could also spread the word to your friends and be like, hey, 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 listen listen to this guy. He's sick, but he's still going at it. I'm so proud of him. And with that, I will wish you a good morning, day, evening, night, outside of space time, whatever it is you're dealing with in that crazy world of yours. Just have a good one. Bye. Bye.